0: Welcome to Poet in
1: Bangkok. I'm Colin Cheney, And I'm Donald Quist. Every episode we hear the stories of illustrators, dancers, party organizers, artists,
0: and librarians. And Donald and I try to piece together a larger story about making art and expressing yourself during this era of military rule here in Thailand. On today's podcast you'll hear an interview with Somrak Som Silla an art curator and the proprietor of one of Bangkok's coolest social venues, WTF Bar and Gallery on Sukhumit Soi 51. I follow some from the alley into the bar as she tells the story of how she left behind a successful career as a financial analyst in order to carve out an open artistic community amidst an exclusive art scene and an environment of censorship. She recalls growing up the daughter of a police officer and her desire as a child and a teenager to really rebel against everything. She discusses the Dunning-Kruger effect, reactions to the leaked CCTV footage of an assault on British tourists in Hua Hin, and some of her most memorable and nerve-wracking exhibits at WTF.
1: Some seem like uh, she seemed like the perfect guest to end out the season, and she sort of brings us full circle. Colin and I actually met. At WTF yeah, during right. a poetry event. So, this seemed like the perfect person to pull on. Some was a fitting voice also to culminate many of the themes we've yeah. been discussing over the past eight episodes. We talked to some amazing people and gathered a variety of perspectives about art in Thailand and the shadow of, you know, what sharp arrow it squeezes from the rose. <laughs> You're doing
0: it again, dude.
1: <laughs> Wow.
0: <laughs> sorry it's not funny Damn i'm it. sorry it's not funny it's actually not fu- funny i mean it is it's not funny.
1: just yeah so just give me a signal when i start to talk funny we can edit we can
0: edit it out though we don't right? <laughs> we don't i mean we could but we don't i don't see any really any real reason to edit it out when you start to do that i mean it's not it's not just you I'm sure some of our listeners um have been starting to deal with this same this same aphasia business i mean we you know the the, the drew sutton the at the guardian oh yeah. uh, who did the interview with with uh dr pym oh who I need to check in i'm not sure if she's still at the i'm sure she would i'm yeah. sure she still is i'm sure we would have heard about it but i haven't I honestly have not been paying attention yeah. to that but yeah he he wrote an article about how there now seem to be like millions of people i mean it started seemed like it was just hundreds a couple of weeks ago now millions of people over the world that are dealing with this this what people are calling this aphasia um some idiots are calling it like the martian aphasia because mm-hmm. uh, maybe it has something to do with the stuff that came through the atmosphere um, it was around the same time though it wa- was it was no it's but yeah um, but <laughs> Here in post depression and anxiety. I'm working hard on not t- taking that little kernel of you know, that must, would was would have been some sort of spore or some sort of like radiation that somehow is
1: Oh, you're freaking me out.
0: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> sorry. So yeah, it's not just you. I mean there have been all these cases in, in, in Thailand and Bangkok and and some started to do the same the same thing in the interview. I don't really? I don't think that I did. I can't hear it.
1: I didn't hear it oh, really? in the interview. But you know, it's like Everything you're saying is true, but knowing that I'm not the only person that sounds crazy doesn't make me feel any better. It, yeah. I don't know. It's like the three nymphs of cancer have been dancing, you know?
0: Okay. So uh, we're just going to leave things like things like that. The nymphs the nymphs of cancer have been dancing. We'll just leave that in there. Oh, damn it. Uh, did you not write, hear yourself say no. that you self No. Okay. We're going to leave it in there for the sake of authenticity. Sort of lyrical... Phasic <laughs> nature of the of this uh, podcast, and oh, I guess I mean I guess also that will help explain because obviously it's relevant relevant to why you were not in the yeah. interview with some while it was just me. Um, I didn't like doing it by myself. I like having I like doing <laughs> a duo, but yeah. uh, but I know you couldn't be there. But.
1: Yeah, true. My heart has the shape of a, a bull's millennial dung, so I guess I should <laughs> apologize in advance. Dear listener, if and when I start getting confusing in this episode, as
0: a teacher, this is yeah, that must be really dear students, dear students.
1: Because this has been progressing slowly, my students, you know, a lot of Thai students are shy and respectful. So for the first few weeks, I guess I was doing this, and they didn't say anything. Not even
0: like not even like giggles. In there were
1: there were no giggles. I I guess they just assumed they. I, they didn't understand me, or I was. I was. Okay, fair point. So it might be. Yeah, yeah in an English it. language class, I guess they were like, "Oh, he's on some next level stuff." He's, <laughs> I don't.
0: I don't see this in the book. I, he's Pro- on. Like, professor is using some fancy, some fancy some stuff, fancy diction here.
1: And so it, it was. A, it was about <laughs> a, a week or two before finally uh, one of my uh, international students, a a nice Finnish kid, came up and said, oh, "John, you're not speaking." correctly Um, my wife had noticed but she thinks I'm sort of dramatic anyway so she just thought I was being weird Um, but now she's getting frustrated as it increases so I I missed the interview because I was consulting a neurologist and I'm starting to work with a speech therapist um, toward the battalion of unequal points so uh, that's why I missed the interview sorry no I'm just
0: I'm just yeah, you know, I'm just sorry you weren't able to be there. Did the neurologist I mean, did you have like a CAT scan? Yeah, got a and did MRI that, and a did CAT that, scan. Yeah. Brain um, did that show anything?
1: No, I have normal brain activity, so I'm not sure what this is. Mm. But he said he's been getting a lot of cases.
0: Mm. So yeah. Okay. Well if you, you, so. if you just if you just happened it's just like, you know, <sighs> It's like breaking into song in the middle of the <laughs> yeah. uh, I minute. Mean, no. uh, my life <laughs> it into a musical. It'll be like that Ugh. Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode where they good all good episode. What's that called? Once more with feeling. Yes, that was a good episode. <laughs> it's a great I think episode. they got an Emmy for that. <laughs> <laughs> they should have. They should have. Um, okay, so let's see. We're gonna. we in a little while. You're gonna hear the interview with Psalm. Before that, we're gonna do a little bit of a, I suppose, a roundup. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have a little come to Jesus uh, about sort of what what we've you know what we've been doing here for the last uh, nine nine episodes, mm-hmm. and this will be our last episode of of uh, I suppose we could grandly call it season, season one. one. <laughs> um, but before that, we're just gonna to as we normally do just reflect a little bit on. Uh, some of what some got us thinking about in terms of sort of how that connects to other thoughts that guests had about the uh, about the art scene. Uh, note the party organizer and cartoonist and Gyo, the librarian at the the reading room, they each commented on this real sort of exclusivity uh, in the the Thai art scene, and that was definitely something that Sam also that some also echoed yeah. when she started her own gallery when she started Wtf she really wanted to. To just do what she wanted. She wanted to to put the artists in the gallery that she really was excited about mm-hmm. and not be beholden to anyone else. So it's sort mm-hmm. of in that I was getting I was hearing note and Gio talking yeah, about yeah. that that sort of sense of of needing to sort of meet certain norms or please yeah. certain people
1: in certain, institutions, in certain like institutions. certain universities yeah. run the scene. Yeah.
0: Um, so that definitely is it was a thread that she she seemed to be picking up on. Mm. Uh Pupe, the the avant-garde physical performer, and uh Che and Yo, the, the writers we spoke to, they were talking about sort of the the need for art to to challenge people's previously held views or to challenge oppression directly. It got me, her interview got me thinking about how really when it comes down to the sort of good conceptual art is sort of it's kind of bound to be controversial i don't know if that rings true yeah if that rings true with you but
1: yeah the need to push boundaries with caution um here subversion becomes like an approach like a a omission becomes almost like a technique that you have Mm -hmm. to use and you get really good at it you you craft this ability to omit and yet convey what you're trying to say and i think some actually called it the long way around yeah. Right, you take yeah. the long way around, Yeah. as she says um, when she's talking to you to graze for twenty centuries on cemetery grass.
0: Okay, that's not what she said. That's just you saying those words. Huh? You oh, just did oh, the ah. thing again. Okay. okay. <laughs> yes. It's very, it's very, po- mm. it very poetic. Very poetic. Oh, wow. Actually, I mean, maybe you're you're just there, you're channeling you're channeling the name of the podcast. Yeah, poetic. Yeah, <laughs> okay. You know, I'm the embodiment. I guess. <laughs> you okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um
1: uh, uh, what hold hold on a minute, I'm getting uh getting texts from my wife. Sorry, sorry, hold on.
0: Do <laughs> you normally turn your damn phone? Sorry, yeah.
1: <laughs> hold up. Hey, um Isaac is saying that they found Captain Raymond Shepherd. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah, they said he. They're saying he. He just came back to Arsia base. They what do you just, mean he just came back? I mean, I'm, I know dude, you're just getting, like
0: here, let me let me look it up on the thing. Sorry, we're holy shit. We're we're live. We're live tweeting. We're now yeah. live. You know, we're live reporting this this event. Sorry for that. We'll cut explosives. this out if it's yeah. totally. If it's totally. I don't
1: usually it. curse on the podcast.
0: <laughs> I do, <laughs> but that's curse worthy. R C. Yeah. What, thing- what what are we googling? a base. Yeah, sh- shepherd.
1: <laughs> they're saying um, they're trying to talk to him, but he, he's not able to speak.
0: Wait, yeah, I got it here. Yeah, yes, yeah, the. I mean, there's not much. It just says that they re, they're happy to report that he's back. That, but Whoa. they have not been able to to interview him because
1: they haven't found anyone else.
0: Not for a single moment. But he, what he if he Blood. just if he just wandered if he just wandered, this is weird, dude because he can't if he just wandered back, where has he been? He can't just have been hanging out yeah. in the mar- in the <laughs> Martian in the Martian <laughs> wastelands like looking at the terraformed lichen and flowers <laughs> for, the, for the last for the last year and a half.
1: Yeah. The soldiers uh with Wells Clark uh it says they are still searching the camp. Um Shep, even like
0: uh, like looking in like tunnels or
1: Yeah, looking through tunnels looking all around for other people, but it seems to be just Shep. and it says here he's babbling incoherently. Um, but their Isaac hasn't released audio or visual yet. Well, it's this weird that they're crazy. being so
0: honest about that. But well, you know, they had a falling out. I think
1: probably with the the member nations.
0: Oh yeah, that's you know, a good point. I still of, I still think of that as monolithic. But you're yeah. right; they're just probably <laughs> they're just saying damn. The man. Do you know what? I'm curious. Sorry, but like I wonder if it's like oh no 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 what if it's the same damn thing that you're doing,
1: you know, with the armchair and the dead book. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about you're
0: screwing about? with me now you're just like reciting poetry that you've memorized in high school <sighs> I'm not or a poet <laughs> <laughs> um no i mean yeah like is he just is it like the same condition i mean that would oh, be shit. that would be utterly that would be utterly screwy and and um because yeah like i mean the first cases of aphasia showed up right you uh. know right after do you know what we would definitely So like there's a
1: connection. You're saying like
0: maybe I mean I'm not like tar- I don't I don't know. I... Like
1: some invisible surreal force hindering people's speech like the like a needle that keeps the pressure in the rose.
0: Yeah, just like the needle that keeps the pressure in the rose, Donald. Uh, just like that. I said that? You did. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <I> maybe mean...
1: <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> Martian aphasia. Uh, it sounds yeah, it sounds weird, but okay. I guess a lot of people will be celebrating tonight. Um,
0: yeah, I mean that's awesome. I mean, I did not actually carry any hope that that any of them were alive. And yeah. I mean Yeah, that's amazing. What have
1: you been telling your daughter cuz I know she was following it very closely?
0: Yeah. Well, that got pretty complicated around mm. the I mean around the whale yeah. stuff and we didn't we didn't really talk to her about about any of it, I think we we decided that we were going. I mean, when the whales were coming, when the the, the objects were were coming in, we sort of once we knew we were going to be here, once the flights were suspended, we just decided we were gonna we weren't gonna tell her, and yeah. we were just gonna take it, face it as it comes, because just you know, how do you tell a three year old that mm. you know the world may. Yeah, may come yeah. to an end. I don't know. You know, there there were there was a lot of different there are a lot of conflicting parenting advice on that, but <laughs> um, but that was what we decided. But we yeah, we haven't sort of talked about it for a while. I mean, she's she's still you know she's still really excited about you know we we look at the harbinger two yeah. landing stuff, but it's it's I mean it's it's totally unrelated. But like she's now gotten really into comic books, oh. so she'll and my comic my graphic novels are on like the lower two shelves in my bedroom. Yeah. And the other day. Uh, she I was I was in I was in the living room And she came in With like one of my Swamp Thing Oh cool. uh, Graphic novels But then she was like She's like Daddy it's so scary oh. And I was like I was like But you shouldn't have been reading it And I was like No there's no It's not the child's fault Yeah <laughs> <laughs> For looking at like the cool looking cartoon, looking pictures. cartoon <laughs> pictures. It's because Daddy didn't put the the vertigo mature yeah. audiences uh up on the higher <laughs> shelf. So uh yeah, so, pro tip you know, parents but, out there. Yeah, vertigo exa- yeah. Not exactly. That's what this <laughs> podcast is all about. Pro parenting tips. Yeah. Um but no, just but just this like but I have definitely been thinking about like I was like which of these com which of these comics can I show her? Like, you know, what pages of a Superman comic book can I show her? sort of like it's i guess what i mean is sort of like what truths can you expose yeah. a child to at what age yeah. and again I, there are smarter people than me well just generally <laughs> uh but you know about 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 this issue but anyway this is
1: uh but yeah so shep is shep is back things are happening um i'm speaking funny and thailand is getting increasingly yeah scarier by so the day um and more confusing to me And I don't know, I've been thinking about the future, thinking about how I'm supposed to move forward with this condition. Yeah. And I also think about, like, the future of this podcast. So how are we going to keep doing this podcast with me sounding like a crazy person? Or, I don't know. So what's the deal with this podcast, Colin? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk in a, in a few in a few minutes about sort of the, some of our plans for the future of, of what we might do with the podcast. But maybe let's just circle around on what yeah. we've done. So we we started this podcast a couple months ago as a way to try to wrap our heads around the art scene in Thailand with the military government and the uncertain future of democracy mm-hmm. just how how are artists operating so that's you yeah. know as as you know if you've been hanging out with us for the last <laughs> nine episodes that's yeah. that's where this came from it, we've i think we figured out some things and there's a lot that we have not yeah. we have not figured out
1: i've still got plenty of questions Pl- yeah <laughs> still plenty of questions yes yeah. it's
0: it's it's questions we get answers but get yeah questions yeah what would you say would be sort of one of the the, sort of the biggest things you feel personally you've figured out about mm. Thai art or Thai artists? What's sort of the thing that looms largest if somebody if somebody like me yeah. if somebody asks you like what you know, what have you figured out about Thai art, what would you what would you say? Talking
1: to all these guests, I, I think one of the things I might feel comfortable saying that I've figured out is that uh, most Thai artists are far more far more controlled than western artists that i've encountered they like we've talked about self-censorship a lot um a lot of the censorship in thailand is internal and it's day by day it's moment by moment and artists i feel like might be feeling that more than anyone so if art if art is all about freedom and expression they're constantly in this internal conflict with themselves um and it must be it must be terrible, I feel like on this podcast we we deal with it a little bit, just a fraction of it, you know um just yeah. a fraction of it. We have to be careful um what our guests say, we have to be mindful of things that we say because of where we are, but growing up in that, having that since you were a child um, and then also that desire to. <laughs> to want to make something that's completely free Mm -hmm. that must be hard Mm -hmm. so I guess that's the biggest takeaway that I've taken Mm -hmm. from this so far Mm -hmm. that sort of has been echoed by every single guest with the exception of Lloyd that we've discussed or we've spoken to Mm
0: -hmm. no I would would agree and I think that one of the things I take away is just the the various ways in which people find their way around that, yeah. right? And whether part of it might just be how certain people, certain artists, internalize to a certain extent that they just never think about it, mm-hmm. and so they just produce yeah. what they're doing, and it's just yeah. it's like something is blocked off in their mind, and so they never it never sort yeah. of you <laughs> yeah. know it never arises in the, it yeah. never arises in the first place. To others that they they very consciously know that there's certain things that they. They want to be exploring it that they mm. can't. So they want to find they want to find ways to cre- sort of to leave that void, that absence, yeah. that absent thing. And they sort of work around it. And their their work is a creation
1: becomes a, it becomes art that that long. Way yeah, around. it's sort of. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah exactly. It's uh. like this
0: negative. It's like this negative space yeah. that is as important as, yes. the, as yeah. the, you know, as the yeah. the uh, the positive space of what they're actually, you know, the, what they're actually creating, creating art that omits something mm. and that thing that is omitted is known to all of the people consuming it you know yeah. or, or or who are viewing it. it it just raises the question of you know how much can you know how much can foreigners understand yes. that art you right. know if the, if you're not sort of true Just yeah. thinking about like che's poems right um where he he definitely is he's writing poems where there's a lot that's going on in that void there are a lot of things that he's omitting, but that he knows his readers acknowledges. There's no way that if he had not told me that that I would have understood that. True. You know, yeah. I, I think. I, I I don't know if that I don't know if that's totally true. But so I mean I suppose I suppose we we, we it's just a jumping off point to talk about I guess sort of the future of the yeah. podcast in in one of the things that we've definitely been thinking we we've been thinking about obviously all the way along, but we've been thinking about how these increasing threats to free speech mm-hmm. in Thailand, these crackdowns by the government and by the military just how that how that's affecting the artists and the writers in in this country but how that might affect us yes as well
1: so there's this fear that there could be repercussions not only uh, for us but our guests and also our families Um, my wife uh, i often ask her how she feels about the podcast um, if she's worried at all she, she told me yeah she's worried but also that it's sort of we're in a climate right now where it sort of doesn't matter if if we do something intentionally on the podcast to provoke it wouldn't matter um we're in this situation now or in this climate where you can be taken or arrested for a Facebook post, so
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, we could end up doing something that we didn't even intend to do mm-hmm. and then that's what what ends up being you know what causes my wife and her family a bunch of strife so there is that fear um continuing the podcast and how more civil liberties are being threatened and freedom of speech is being threatened and how that could knock on the door of this podcast yeah i mean
0: it's it's something that that was sh- shadowing the interview with SOM mm-hmm. and the exhibit that, that they put on oh, yeah. this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, these eight people were arrested for posts on Facebook yeah. um, and were charged with sedition for mocking the prime minister and, with a with a site called We Love General Prayute. Yeah. Uh, if they're convicted on that charge of sedition, it's a seven year jail term. And they're also charged with violating the, the 2007 Computer Crimes Act. And two of those uh, people charged for the Facebook post were also charged with violating Article 112 mm. for insulting the monarchy. And all of them will be tried in a military court. And w- what I find frightening is just how normative that has become. Yeah, Th- That is very shocking, but I remember reading about it should be shocking but i remember reading about it in the newspaper and it, it it did not surprise me in the slightest yes it was not something that was like that was sort of it rose to me it was on the front right. page of the newspapers and it's getting a lot of international press but but it's so normal now mm. that that frightens me just the how how accustomed how how accustomed yeah. i have become yes. just as a as a foreigner here um to that and a couple of days ago, a number of Thai representatives were appeared before the uh, United Nations Human Rights Council, yeah. and they faced really tough questions from different UN members that they were urging the military to review the laws used to to silence their critics, and you know, a litany of <laughs> litany of complaints about about legal detention, about limits on free speech, mm-hmm. perhaps overuse of Article One One Two. And who knows what's going to come of it. I mean, the, the Thai representative said that they will perhaps adopt some of the recommendations. Yeah. But it's just very interesting to try to think about this context and try to figure out how do you continue to create. And, yeah. and I'm feeling this tension where I live here. I plan on living here for a while more. I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> but the but even just there've been moments in the in the production of the podcast there've mm-hmm. been moments where we've edited out yes. particular pieces not because they have been vi- a violation of anything mm-hmm. not because there's been anything overt but there's just been moments where it just it's just I've just felt uncomfortable or you felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. with sort of with sort of the way it could be taken or the yeah. tone or something and I'm not proud of that yeah, it makes I, me feel it yeah. makes me feel really uncomfortable Like I'm compromising, like I'm compromising my ideals and I just don't. So I don't know. I think as we go forward or as we think about how to move forward, Mm -hmm. it's going to be tricky to figure out how to do that. How do we do the podcast in a way that feels like we're we're being, I don't think at any point we're we're not going to be perceived as being shills for (laughs) for the government. Uh, But, you know, I I just, uh, that was me. Sorry. I I turned my thing (laughs) on. Oh yeah, website. no. My wife is my wife's texting me oh. about the about oh. the Shep thing as well. Yeah, yeah. So awesome, she says. It is yeah, it is really awesome. Is, yeah. Let me turn off my buzzer now. Oh, yeah,
1: going off of what you said, yeah. In a podcast that talks about censorship, and then we're having to censor out things. It there are many times over the last few episodes where I have felt like a hypocrite. Felt like a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. I'm being hypocritical, <laughs> and like you said, it doesn't feel good. But then I think of a mother who's facing 30 years in jail because her son is an activist and she's being charged with violating Article 112.
0: Right. You're talking about the the, the mother of of one of the pro-democracy student activists who has been charged for... Less than I just say, because yes. this is, I'm, I'm repeating this, not yes. because Donald doesn't know what it is, but yes. I'm repeating this for our for listeners our who might not know. In case you don't know. In case you don't know, <clears throat> she's was she been charged for receiving a text message that was deemed uh, insulting. Yes. Um, and she replied with a single non-committal yes. phrase that's basically the equivalent of saying, yeah, which mm-hmm. is basically the equivalent of saying, yeah, I received your text. Right. <laughs> um. And she's being she's being brought up on charges, which may get her thirty years, and for not doing anything, for not for yeah, for saying yeah.
1: So, as my wife was reminding me constantly, you can be taken down for anything or nothing. Mm -hmm. We're (laughs)
0: yeah, it's just, and yeah, I mean, I think we've we've talked about this a little bit. We've talked about this a little bit offline, but we've talked. About sort of the question of privilege, yeah, and and I think there are certain privileges that we have as foreigners um, existing in this space. We still have to abide by the local laws, yeah. which some which some motherfuckers mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from abroad do not understand. Yes, and and, uh, and those people are infuriating yeah. uh, if you ever are in their company when they are. They in get, a public way, um, hmm. uh, mouthing off and saying that they don't, they don't have to abide by the local laws. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like, no, dude, you do. Not, <laughs> not, not that I'm referring to any particular <laughs> incident that happened in the past or anything. Um, this like a name drop, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here, beep!
1: yeah, yeah exactly.
0: um, But yeah, we've, we've talked about we've talked about privilege and. Yeah. I mean, even just the difference, the difference between the two of us, yeah. right? Like I'm in, I would say to a certain extent, I'm in a more privileged position than you um, in Thailand because we're, we're all American yeah. and uh, we have no roots here. We have friends mm. here. We care about the place. We, yeah. we love the country. Um, but we can leave. Yeah. Um, and we have because we have no ties. So if, if for whatever reason, if we just decided we didn't want to be here, we Thank could leave. Um, if things got hot, we could leave. Where you, uh, I could leave. You, c- you could leave, and I could
1: get divorced. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> That's the choice I could make. Uh. I always tell my wife, you know, if I get taken down to the uh, police station, get the papers ready. I'll sign them um, because I don't want you to have to go through whatever they're going to yeah. throw at you. So. Keep the divorce, get the lawyer ready, yeah. because uh I wouldn't want her so yeah i I have the privilege yeah. i have I have some privilege I could leave um but I'd leave my wife behind, yeah,
0: yeah. but it seems like there are certain artists that we've interviewed yeah. that seem a little bit more comfortable speaking their yes. minds, yes, and I don't know whether that is because they seem to feel that because of their family connections yeah. or or what, or maybe just because they don't have as deep roots here Mm. for whatever reason that it seems like they've maybe feel like if things got really, got really hot, they could, they could leave where others.
1: um, So looking towards the second season,
0: I mean, there there are all sorts of people that, that I'd still love to talk to. There's some, there's some novelists, there's some filmmakers, uh, musicians, Mm. um, Thai, Thai people I'm thinking of, but there are also a number of of Farang, number of foreigners Mm that are that are working here in creating art, uh, photographers, painters, novelists, poets, that I could imagine would be really interesting to to put on the podcast as well. I think would would come at it from, you know, would, would these interviews, I suppose, like the interview with Lloyd, would not be getting at sort of like an understanding of the Thai mm-hmm. art scene, but I think um hearing from other foreigners about how they navigate this space, yeah. and I suppose how they engage with Thai art or how they're inspired yeah. with Thai art might be revealing. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I like the idea of talking to um, some foreigners um, because you know if if it is about understanding Bangkok, this, the story of Bangkok is also their story too. They have. Perspective. We so yeah. I'm I'm definitely down with continuing <laughs> talking to some. Yeah. Other so I mean this I, I, this may, may seem odd.
0: People. This may seem odd to to listeners. Sort of why are they sort of why are they kind of hemming and hawing about whether or not they're going to do it? The honest truth is because we are we are hemming and hawing mm. about whether to do it because right. we're not sure how to continue operating in this space. So yeah, two thousand doves for the pleasure of the dying. Yeah. <laughs> doves. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> what? did you think you were saying?
1: I thought I was saying. So yeah, let us know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe it was just it was a little like Prince reference. Oh, Dove's Cry. R.I.P. So yeah, we're gonna take we're gonna take a little bit of time. We're gonna take a little bit of time off from the podcast to do some, to wrap our heads around it, and then maybe start doing some interviews toward the end of the summer. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Vietnam. My it inter- cool. maybe might take the microphone with me. Might interview some people there. But Donald, you were talking about maybe going yeah. to one of the one of the impact sites, right? Yeah, in right. in uh, in Isan.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking of going to um, one of the crash sites, uh, one of the whale debris crash sites, um, in Karat Basin in Ison, um, in the Pupan Mountains. Yeah, up yeah. in the mountains there. Yeah. Which
0: is as I think about it is where Pumasak, the mm. the poet and intellectual who was um who was murdered right. there in uh in in may nineteen sixty six when he had he'd been arrested in Bangkok for communist sympathies and then joined the- uh, sort of militia groups up there and was was hunted down um there's like a shrine i'll i'll send you the link to it okay. you should you should Thanks. you should stop but um interesting poet but yeah. um could interview his ghost yeah. <laughs> yeah which sounds like a joke but, but not really not who, yeah but not in <laughs> thailand yeah. you know um what are you gonna you can't get close like, yeah. they don't let anybody yeah. like what's the, it's they've got like off, a hoping i like could a two mile perimeter right yeah
1: i'm hoping i could get some like binoculars or try to get a really good camera get high up and see what i can see <laughs> i'm just very i mean it's so close yeah i i feel like i should Sort of owe it as a as a as an enthusiast, as a
0: space enthusiast. As a space enthusiast, (laughs)
1: I feel like I owe it to myself and now as
0: a a podcaster
1: and as a podcaster, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about Mars and space this entire time, so way too much. Here it is in Thailand. I I gotta go. You gotta go. Okay. So we were very happy to be able to speak to some, and I'm kind of jealous that Colin got to sit down. I talk to her without me um, this is perhaps one of my favorite interviews
0: so far it was a lot of fun yeah. it was a lot of fun yeah, yeah. so you' uh, we've, we've, we've already given you a little bit of a heads up on, on some of the things you might be listening to but it, it's a, it's a really f- it was a really fun uh, chance to, to chat and the interview is a little different from from some of the, the earlier ones we begin actually outside <laughs> in the alleyway so you'll hear some uh, some birds chirping and some motorcycles. Uh, and then we move inside uh, to to continue the interview um, at a small table in the in the bar in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah, so it's uh, it was it was wonderful for some to to give us a bit of her time before the next day she was going to Portugal where she's uh, thinking of opening a new uh, bar and huh. brass gallery. So it's really really nice of her to, to sneak it in on this incredibly hot uh, afternoon. So without further ado, here's our interview with Sumra Silla.
1: Around So can be a chosen foolin' around Cause we look at you and that's all the gown So can't gonna the food that I owe would you that never dread when it comes to not being late? So it would be fine to be sent to the mind Would I waste
2: any more time So refreshing
0: this is not a refreshing temperature.
2: Oh, it can't be it can't be better than this, you know. You, I I moan when it's cold, so why yeah.
0: So why don't you tell us where we're just where we're standing?
2: Twenty meters from Sukumit Road in Soy 51 and this is a little alley. It was once unpaved. It's all squats and full of birds shit and rats and cockroaches, it's still full of, full of that. It hasn't changed much, except for the pavement and the som winners. yeah.
0: And how long, um, how long ago did you, did you open the bar here and what was, what was the space before it was a bar?
2: It was a storage for the supermarket Tao here. This supermarket's been here since I was born, actually. So I'm pretty excited to find this bed that belonged to them and rent it from them. Yeah, so this place has been open for exactly six years. This month, actually.
0: Oh, wow. I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: We skipped the anniversary this year because it's so hot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it and it is hot. Yeah, yeah. In the alleyway, there's the Sontem vendors and there's some uh, wash basins full of uh, floral dishes. And on the wall, on the, on the side of the alley, there are some posters from your last show. Uh, this is not a political act. Could you maybe just talk a little bit about that? Sort of describe the the poster actually, because we'll put it we'll put it up on the website, but maybe describe the poster.
2: Okay, so this show is just in last month, and it's by a Thai artist named Jirawat. He's in media as well, and we met through work. He came and profiling WTF Gallery and he's always been interested in politicals and freedom of expression and then he knew that we has a gallery with this kind of agenda and we're probably the only space in bangkok that kind of outspoken about this issue so he approached me and we decided to yeah let's do it but we sat down and developed it for six months nerve wracking not sure this is the right thing to do at the, this time Talked to a lot of artists and then he's like we just agree let's do it and then he uh, contact Amnesty International to get the content about missing, forced missing people. So the whole show just want to talk about uh, people who've been disappeared with no reasons. And it's not just about politics, it's about um, environment issue, the human right. And it's the people that have been missing in the last 20, 30 years, you know, different different regime. So, whether we're under dictators or you know elected government, this issue has always happened. But on top of that, he also want to mention that this is symbolic of what's going on right now that you know you don't have no you have no idea what can people in the power do to you. We're just like in the darkness, there's no real freedom. It seems like the whole country's functions and everything, but under that it's just pretty grim, you know, so the whole exhibition, the room was painted black, and with this um, poster of the people that have been missing this is a t- two, three quite well-known guy including uh, Som Chai, who's a polit- uh, human rights activist it's been ten years and he still haven't been filed, and there's no court case, the the judges you know, denied the case because Thai law, has, it's not accommodating to, to, to pro, uh, proceed the case about missing people, because like, oh, he might be gone with his, you uh, his affair, you know, <laughs> like, how could we prove it? So the whole system, legal system here just cannot do anything. So his wife been working hard to uh, raise the awareness of this issue, but still doesn't go anywhere. Ten years. Yeah, so...
0: And what was, the, what was the reception like to the, to the show? What, what sort of feedback did you get from people coming to the opening or, or afterward?
2: It was really good. It's one of the, the biggest openings we ever have. And we have a lot of press because we partnered with the Amnesty International. They were fantastic. We flew a bunch of uh, friends and family of these guys over, mostly from the south because that's happened a lot too. To come to the opening and they give speech and it's heart wrenching. You know they explain like what's it like for like a daughter or wife of somebody who been missing. And if you are Muslim, it's kind of taboo.
0: What what do you mean it's taboo?
2: Because they they think like where is your husband? Did he actually leave you? So you 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 cannot remarry, you know? Yeah, so you can't do anything. And people just kind of look at them like a, a stranger in a way. So it's not so bad in Thailand, but you know they told the story about people in India, women in India, that just become like a marginal, uh, marginalized in the society. It's like who's your, you know they don't even think that their husband been abducted or anything. So.
0: And in, in those cases, in terms of the advocacy of the, the family members and friends, people that are that are working on keeping the the issue at the forefront. Are they proceeding through legal channels? Are they are they appealing to, to local officials, to local government, to local military? Or are they appealing to international channels?
2: Well, they're trying to, like, uh, this guy in the poster, his wife is a, now an a, a activist who tries to promote this issue, you know, work with amnesty, work with um, different NGO. But under this current situation, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. I heard that the law, they've been talking about passing the law uh, to deal with the boss missing case to make uh, it possible for the cop to investigate it
0: why is it not possible right now to investigate it why would police officers not be allowed to or inclined to investigate that now why do you need a new law
2: I'm, I'm, I don't know exactly, I don't remember the detail, but it's, it's something like, oh, but how do you know that he's dead? How do you know that he's been abducted? What if he just ran away to another country with his affair? You know, there's still that kind of case uh, uh, argument, which is, you know, in other country law, international law, it should be like, oh, after, I don't know, a month, three months, then it should be a criminal case investigation, that kind of thing. So in Thailand, it's been a push by international organizations to push that law, but it got everything got stopped because of the, the coup. Yeah,
0: I'm just am just curious because as I listen to you say that, that that people are saying, oh maybe they just went to Cambodia or they ran off with their their girlfriend or something. I mean that seems like a rather absurd excuse to to my to my farang, to my Western ears. I mean how how much is that an actual an actual thought that people are like oh it might that might actually be what has happened and how much of that is just kind of a defensiveness sort of excuse making as a as a as a way to not have to look into it
2: I think per capita, Thailand is like the second country on the charge of false missing people in the world
0: second in the world yeah
2: so it's become like yes, so what you know so that, I think that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow, that's, total, that's really fascinating. Well, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that yeah. um, about that inside, but let's, we'll, we're going to wander down the soy now. <laughs> and one of the great things about WTF, the, the bar and gallery, is that you can hang out in the alley uh, when you come out to drink. And uh, did you, did you an- anticipate that the alley was going to be kind of your, your other, sort of your front room to the bar?
2: No, I was not. I was so nervous about it at the beginning because, yeah, when it happened at the beginning, I didn't like it at all. But then it become became... You know, sometimes we have event inside. It's empty inside. And then the people were just outside, hanging out, sweating their butt off. And so I have to move my be a bar here so to keep making money
0: <laughs> every couple of months or half a year you rotate in a new uh, mural on the um, that's done by usually a local artist and so you now have a, a new mural up could you just read it to us and maybe just talk a little bit about it
2: so it said dunning kruger effect those too stupid to know how stupid they are fortified with balis confidence are doomed to act out their incompetence forever and then there's a Thai translation. Yeah.
0: How, how do you understand that, and, and why did you put it up on the, on the wall?
2: I, I never know. There's a theory about this. Just one day, I was reading some news that kind of upsetting thing that doesn't make sense to me, and I kind of blurted it out. I was like, my God, the stupids are so stupid. They don't even know they are stupid. And then Chris, my husband, turned around and said, like, oh, that's Dunning Kruger. Theory? It's like, oh there's a theory about this? So I, I get I went crazy and shit like Google and spend half a day. Like, oh who talked about this and who has been using it? Is it popular theory? And I keep that in my mind. I should do some art about this. So that happened six months ago. And then I changed this wall every year actually around this time for the anniversary we we pretty poor this year, so I couldn't commission any artists to do anything. And I need to, I know that the previous wall, which is all the flag in camouflage color, wasn't very famous among selfie lover, because it's not very good color. <laughs> so my strategy is like, I need something colorful. I need people to take more photo. And then it's like, oh yeah, that text, that, that would be a good statement. So we just um, reworked the wording. So we worked do it together, and he decided the whole thing.
0: I love that you you really took into consideration the selfie the selfie effect. So, because people hang out on the street on there's a, and there's a bench that's facing this Dunning Kruger effect statement. What has the reception been? How have your how have your patrons responded to it? Have you gotten any feedback from it?
2: Well, it's a mix. Uh, feedback really. Uh, last night I talked to some Thai friends. She doesn't come here often, but she saw me post on it, and she's like, "Whoa, that's a strong statement." It's like, "Are you offended?" Like a little bit. So, but I'm not, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> um, so we have that a little bit, mostly from Thai, and then there's some, you know, expats who say, know, that's that's really cool. It's 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 like perfect for the current situation."
0: How do you understand it? Being rele- relevant to the, this particular moment, what is it about that—that that sort of being too stupid to know how stupid you are, <laughs> and having boundless confidence? I mean, how is that most acute for you in your work as a as a bar owner, or is your work as a gallery owner, or just like as a Thai citizen? How does that really like? How is that most poignant for you right now?
2: I'm actually quite worried. When I put it, I was like, "Am I actually the stupid one <laughs> to do this?" And everyone is, you know enlightened about the whole situation because I feel like I'm a minority to think too much about what's going on here when a lot of things doesn't make sense. Suddenly you know the whole principle and value that I grew up with has been questioned completely uh, and turned it upside down you know uh, like like the case in of people got, got beat up.
0: P- could you describe that for some listeners who might not uh, have heard about that case?
2: So there was a video from CCTV came out a couple weeks ago of uh, three British tourists. You know, it's it's happening in a market, very busy street, and then there's some argy bargy, and then out of nowhere, the whole family got beat up brutally. It looks really awful by three Thai guys, I think. And this is mother, father, and son. They might have been drunk or anything couldn't tell but it was a a really depressing scene to look at so that's the the first thing I thought about that when I I look at the video first I like why nobody helping which is pretty sad people came help after they all got beat up like not completely unconscious so my first question is like why people were not helping like you know to try to stop it and that I couldn't get my head around that and the second question is like how did this, this video just come out now? It must be a leak. Wow! Well done, awesome. You know, because everyone first saw that video from uh, international media. You know, Thai media never seen it. So you know, it became an ish, uh, a case, and police investigated until last couple of days. The governor, the cops, or you know, people in big, high power just said. Uh, we're going to find out who leaked this video. Even our dear leader. just like, this is bad, damaging our country. And I just flip, Like, what? <laughs> like, these, the, the, whoever did this should be awarded, you know, to, like, leak this video, find the bad guy. And no, no, that's the other way around. So I'm like, am I stupid? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know where I am now in this community. Yeah.
0: But it's also just interesting to you, interesting to hear you reflect on that because you seem to have put this up here an observation about perhaps some behavior of other people in the country people too stupid to know how stupid they are but then you actually had that moment where you turn that back on yourself and that doesn't seem like something that necessarily happens a whole lot here where, where you sort of take a, an observation or a criticism of others and then sort of actually kind of test it on yourself. I mean would you agree? Is that sort of that doesn't seem particularly tie trait
2: criticism in general is not very Thai thing either giving it or taking it but um it's a conceptual art (laughs) it's bound to be you know make people questioning stuff that's that's the whole point yeah
0: and to take selfies next to it as you as you drink fine cocktails in the alley.
2: Yeah, isn't that beautiful? It's good for business. <laughs> you know, it, it's a whole marketing concept in my head as so, well. Yeah.
0: That's great. Well, let's maybe go back inside and, and cool off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. okay. okay. And we're back inside. Um so maybe could you just tell me a little bit about where you where you grew up and what your community was like and your family life was like when you were growing up?
2: Uh, I grew up in a suburb south of Bangkok, Smut Pragan. So this is Sukhumvit 51, just go straight down. My house is Sukhumvit 119, uh, which is, I call it Cambodia, so far. <laughs> and, um, but I, I went to school in Bangkok S- all my life, um, you know, spent four hours a day in the bus, growing up my parents are uh, working middle class kind of self-made you know my dad sent himself to university a cop very strict very typical Thai family I'm a, always a black sheep which I don't know why I just kind of grow up remember like I didn't want to do this and that like my brother wants my parents want us to do you know i remember like my mom said oh you should be cleaning up the house as a daughter you know you shouldn't go play in the soil i was like why not you know i kind of asked a kind of question um but they because they're so strict and very hard head you know i remember i have to finish homework on friday night every weekend i cannot do it saturday morning sunday it's impossible. And it's kinda of create this weird fear that I have to be good. There is no grief in my voice, only my teeth exist. So, you know, I've been I did pretty well in school and went to really good school. I mean supposed to be the good school, best one here. Yeah. Like it, hated it.
0: <laughs> why did why did you hate it?
2: I don't know. I I just feel weird. I don't I feel like black sheep. I don't belong there. I went to a business school in international program here and the, the only reason I chose that program because it has a exchange program and I want to be gone <laughs> at least for like 6 months. I, w- I don't want to be yeah, I want to be outside see the world. That's the only thing I remember. Yeah. So I didn't like the the cost or my friends or anything
0: when when you say you felt like a black sheep growing up was was part of that was that did you did you feel that acutely in terms of your your sense of yourself as a as a young woman or was it in other aspects of your life like your interests or your passions didn't align with those of either your family or or people in your neighborhood or your school
2: it's pretty much everything i don't want to be what everyone else is doing i remember like, I, but i didn't know what i want i don't like whatever they they're wearing at the time, I don't like um the music they listen to, but I didn't know what I want. It was really frustrating time you know my my teen angst is crazy until I get to go and do my exchange program in Australia. I was like, oh, freedom, and I hated that too it, it It was in Adelaide, it was so quiet and you're twenty, and then you went to that tiny city, and it's like, well there's nothing for me to do but but freedom felt great,
0: yeah. Do you, do you remember a moment where you kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of what that was that you wanted or what that was that you liked?
2: I I love buying this weird, I mean, not so weird, this magazine in Asia book, there was an internet back then. And I, I'm so keen to know what's going on outside Thailand. Uh, so I forced myself really hard to learn English so that I can read all these pop music magazine, all these... Um, face, magazine face um, das and confused, like oh it's, it's something what is this? It feels liberal to me. that's a that's word. yeah, so that's that's the only glimpse I have, but I still don't didn't know what it was all about.
0: How much of that do you think was, as you look back on it, was a was a reaction to a certain tightness of your upbringing?
2: Maybe it just reflects to how strict my parents. Were They're okay now. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown-up woman. I probably react to that. I don't want to, um, you know, a bit of level head, you know, to, to not comply, be obedient. So same with my social circle, maybe. I don't know whether it's, I, I had no idea. Back then, it's something to do with tightness or as a young person.
0: And what was it that your parents did? What did they, they were working middle class?
2: Uh, my dad's a cop. Was a cop? yeah, people told me, and he's in news all the time that he's one of the rare, clean cop, so I kind of grew up with that pride too, so he just tried to make everything's right and struggle all the time for uh, in his career. I, I remember we have visitors coming, and I was in the house, and I, I heard the comment, "This is the heart of the colonel. This is the house of the colonel. that's his, his rank pretty high up. Th- this is it? Tiny house, and I was I was proud. I was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> I would say it's good. It's kind of pushed me to be who I am now—quite humble and principled. You know, quite quite strong on principle.
0: Did he did he talk much about his police work growing up, or was that something he kind of left at the door?
2: He did quite a bit. Yeah, he just kept telling us this is the right things to do. This is how hard it is for him. But there's a lot of conflict between him and his boss. Like, this is how you're supposed to deal with the case. It, it would have been easier um, if you do the shortcut. But he couldn't. He's an investigator. So people bribe him all the time. I wanted to because um, that, that's a cutting point, right? Whether the case is going to go north or south. Yeah. The the whole police station says, oh, why don't you just do the shortcut? Take the money for everyone. And, you know, he's kind of have to, in the middle of the conflict all the time, and he looks exhausted, I remember. But having said that, I, you know, from family perspective, I, I really want that to be true. I don't know. Maybe he's not who I think he is. <laughs> I, I always question that, actually, yeah.
0: Was that something you questioned as a kid, or was it only something that you started to question and think about as you've gotten older and gotten sort of a broader perspective on institutions and
2: as i get older i look back and it's like is that even possible no way <laughs> he has to have a bit of dark side here and there and he ended up um running some uh for a, a mp political local politics um at the end of his career and he didn't get elected so that's that's a part that i started to feel like why are you doing that um and that was a long story you know, story about him, him doing that. I was actually walking on the street, not on the door, helping my dad's campaign, and I've seen a lot of weird stuff.
0: So what was your exposure to art as a kid? Did you get that at home? Um, was your dad busting up uh, sort of, you know, art smuggling rings and, you know, bringing home the paintings, and that was how you, oh, that's, <laughs> what, that's what modern art is. Yeah, where did you get your interest in art from, from um, siblings or family or teachers, your mom? Nobody. <laughs> what do you mean, nobody?
2: No, there's no art at all.
0: In when I grow up, zero. What What was on the? Describe your living room. What was on the walls of your living room growing up?
2: Uh, backseat Boy poster, you know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: As your bedroom, I mean, like your the family room.
2: There's no. There's no nothing. Nothing. Barely family portrait. Nothing.
0: Did you have art classes at school? Yeah,
2: one one hours a week. That's it, and I hated it. I don't get it. <laughs> Nothing.
0: <laughs> so when did you when did you get into art?
2: My, it's a f- second job that I did after I graduated first degree. Um, I got a job at, to work at British Council, so I was helping managing um, art program and science as well. They call it like innovative policy, so they try to promote that you know, cool, cool Britannia back then. Yeah, so that's how I get involved with the art project for the first time. And I really like it. Worked there for three years, the happiest time of my life. So I decided to go to study, master degree in art management in London.
0: I guess that surprised me is me knowing you through WTF and knowing you through the art that you curate here and the community uh, that you're connected to. It just surprises me that you came to art so late,
2: Yeah, I guess.
0: (laughs) Does does that not seem unusual to you?
2: But like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a long time. And then as soon as I got that job, I was like, this is it. It, This makes a lot of sense. I've been waiting for this. This is a moment. Yeah.
0: Where did you think your life was heading before that, before the Arts Council? What did you think? What did you picture yourself doing at at your current age back then?
2: Office live. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Can I call that? Nine, nine to five people. I was working as a financial analyst for a massive corporate when I first graduated. I was doing so well, get promoted every three months for one year, that I cried every single night. So that, that, that would be the direction. You know, my parents were so proud of me. Really, really proud at, at the time. Yeah.
0: And then you broke their heart. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well yeah. <laughs> they still confused about what I'm doing now. But they know that I'm happy, so it's it's good, yeah.
0: So you went you went and studied at the University of London. What was it what was that experience like? Was that as formative as maybe you hoped that it would be?
2: I felt poor <laughs> when I was in London. That was a really difficult time. But being in that kind of environment was inspiring. Uh, in the city where art is fully funded and supported. So that's that's a full inspira- inspiration. So I studied that like directly how you justify art to the, you know, government, business and audience. How can art function in society? So, uh, yeah, so I came back with that kind of fire. I was like I'm going to change art scene here.
0: When you were when you were studying in London and you were learning about the art scene there, were you actually you know, did you have a a pretty good understanding of the Thai art scene then, or were you a little bit ignorant of that because you weren't? That wasn't your scene before leaving.
2: I uh, I was working at British Council for three years before that, so I kind of know what's what's going on. Um, but we working in a kind of top level to work with the policymaker, and you know, lots lots of lobby from British government and funding through uh, NGO. So that time, it, it feels like this is possible. And when I came back, it still kind of felt that way. Uh, Thailand going through, you know, creative creative industry pushing. This is a previous government that we we know who he is. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of money pouring in. You know, CCDC um, was just building TK Park. You know, at the time, everything seems like oh, maybe something could happen. But I was a little bit naive to to come back and like yeah, maybe I can change. I can use my knowledge and explain to all these dinosaurs that there's something that you can do about this. You know,
0: it sounds like um, through your work with the British Council, you had a pretty good sense of of this is the way that that perhaps uh, high so high society ties consume art. This is the kind of art that gets promoted here in Thailand, and there's other kinds of art or there are other artists that are not getting that are not getting uh, shown or are not getting. Uh, appreciated. So it sounds like you came back from England with a sense of I want to change that. Is that is that accurate?
2: It was uh, the gap it is still here between people who make art producer and audience, you know. You always see the same crowd going to art opening. And there's a there's a gap where people who don't normally go to art feel intimidated. A lot of people still see art as a I don't know like a, a, a things for intellectual or rich people or investment, but actually i I was ta- taught in London that art can function as a you know thing that changed community uh, uh, let's say re- uh, generation you know not necessarily a good thing, but it has you know done something to different big cities like Bilbao. It's a city of nothing to build good museum, bam! it changed the whole economy and, you know, the whole city changed. So I kind of want to promote that from what I learned, but I was being naive.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about that naivete. Did you get a sense of that you were naive about that before you started WTF? Or was it in the process of starting WTF and creating an art gallery here that you got a real sense of that?
2: Oh, I stopped being naive. That's why I opened WTF. (laughs) Basically, like, fuck them all. I'm going to do exactly what I want to do in my own way, with my own money. Because, like, if you go through system trying to do something here, it's like climbing, you know, the highest mountain in the world.
0: But is there a particular experience you had where you just got a real sense of how naive you were when you came back from London and you were trying to to work in the art field? What was it that really... You know what was a was there a, was there a particular time where you were like oh wait there's no there's no way I can there's no way I can do it this way and and therefore maybe I need to start my own space.
2: The biggest thing and probably the, the main reason why we opened the BTF because of that project I work for Silapagon University. Uh, it's called Mekong Art and Culture Project, funded by Rockefeller Foundation. It's kind of art for development in Mekong, sub-region, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, and it was going so well. Very critical, very constructive project of training kids in this region to be a curator and then have them do collaboration, working together, building a a traveling exhibition. So it's like an unusual thing. never happened before, but we did it in in a very constructive way. And it's going so well and I was so proud of it one of the life changing projects you know and then lucky Father Foundation Chang's director stopped funding culture project all together so we have to just finish it and I was like this is this is not even Thai system you know <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of I, I was really upset and frustrated so I was like that's it I'm not gonna push my heart and so on and relying so- on someone else I'm done
0: so you mentioned that your realization of your naivete was your, your reason for starting WTF. So, yeah, what was your vision for WTF when you, uh, when you created it? Uh,
2: I remember I just want to be a really goddamn cool bar owner. <laughs> that's that's a, the main, not the main thing, but like, that's the thing that I keep telling myself when it worked really hard to build it. It's going to be cool. You're going to be freaking cool ass girl. <laughs> It is inspiration to get me going, you know. Uh, but before that, I didn't even know what what I wanted to come out like. But on the back of my mind, I I want to do something exactly the way I want, without giving a shit about anyone else, you know. I'm small, intimate, and you know, not probably not gonna be my bread and butter. So like, I want to open arts best. In my own vision, you know, without anyone in uh, my art- artistic direction. And the bar come in because um, Chris, my husband, is a travel photographer and we travel a lot. And we go to a lot of cool, loudy bar around the world. Like simple, not pretentious, not loud, good music, good cocktail. And we like keep asking each other why there isn't one in Bangkok. <laughs> like, all right. And then we walk past this space, just walk past it one day and just ask. And they told us the price, like, let's do it. If it doesn't work, what the fuck? <laughs> <Hints> the name. <laughs> yeah. So it, it came up really quickly. So I just merged it together and then it become a good formula because the uh, income from the bar subsidizing gallery, which means I don't have to. Relying on sales or finding sponsor or grant kind of take load out from me, you know, and then I can do whatever I want
0: what was the what was the first exhibit that you did here?
2: It's um thirteen artists the The whole purpose is I need to launch it off the biggest way as possible. I want it to be known really fast so uh, because I work in art for a while, so I have good connection with a lot of established artists. So we just put together 13 artists that I know. There wasn't that much direction at the time. I just want the big bang launch. And it works, you know. We have curated 13 artists. And through the process, we found that it was so hard. Because I never curated. That's my first show. Yeah. It was so hard to work with 13 different artists with different direction. And there was a bit of conflict. Not much. Um, So we called the show Wonderful Thai friendship is also the play with the acronym. And also, it happened at the time when the first riot between red and yellow happened. That's when they burned Central Wall and the banks. Yeah, so I just thought, perfect name, perfect concept. And, and it was it was cool opening. And people were like, oh, this is a new um, speak-easy after-hour place in a little dingy alley. It's like, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm just thinking about that context, the, con- the 2010 uh, red shirt occupation of the city and then the, the violent crackdown afterward. Where, as you look back on, or at the time, were you conscious of any of those works of art that you were exhibiting as being particularly political or were they particularly apolitical?
2: There's a lot of political arts here, has always been. Um, so I, I was conscious of some artists going to do very political show, and they did, ironically, that some of those artists stopped doing political show right now, mm. which drives me crazy. Mm. I, I don't understand. Um, so I, I was conscious that, I, you know, I choose artists based on their previous work, like what have they done, So and some of them more um, political than the other. Back then, the issue of doing political art isn't, isn't even an issue. You can do whatever you want. You weep on the shores of horse's eye. So it, it, there wasn't even an issue, no expectation, nothing. People can do whatever I want. So it's it's so funny, isn't it? Once you've been told what to do and what not to do, this question happened, and it's really weird feeling for me to like, uh, why? Why are we discussing about this? You know, it, it's like whole new situation.
0: I guess that surprises me when you say that that at that time, 2010, under the opposite government, that political art was was common and there wasn't really a sense of of censorship or or self-censorship could you really create any art that you wanted to to create back then and and now with the current limitations there is like a real palpable difference i mean did it did it really feel free for you as a gallery uh, as a curator and as a gallery owner and for the artists back then, did it really truly feel free in that, in that sense and free of limitation?
2: Yeah. You know, when I did the Mekong Art and Culture Project in four countries, Lao, Vietnam, we had to get permission from Ministry of Culture in, in that country about the show, what, regardless of what context it is. And like me being saying, like, oh, who are you? You know, we're lucky it wasn't even an issue at all you can do whatever you want unless you touch um the institutions
0: <laughs> <laughs> unless you touch the things that you're not saying <laughs> you're you're creating a gap between your hands yeah. of the uh so, so guess,
2: it's, yeah it's not completely free <laughs> well what am i talking about yeah so
0: well i, I yeah i guess maybe if you just, if you don't mind just linger in there for a quick second i just i find that fascinating that that you again, even just the way you're reflecting on that, you sort of like, oh, like, you know, I was working with the Macon Commission and really had the sense that, like, other countries had these limitations, you know, and, but, then as you're, but then as you're speaking, you have this moment where you're like, oh, yeah, but of course, but of course there are these, but the, you have these three things that you can't, can, you can't say. Can you just talk about it? Even about that, like, that moment of realization. You just, or it's not realization. I don't mean to overplay it, but that moment where you're like, oh, but of course we can't talk about that. Can you just talk about that for a second?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes me feel, like, idiot right now. <laughs>
0: No, I don't mean to, but I just, I'm just fascinated by that because I, mean, I think there are many moments where in the podcast, Donald and I reflect upon the way which in the U.S. we sort of have this sense of, of absolute freedom and absolute, you know, sort of confidence in democracy. And then at certain points we're left to be like, yeah, but actually, wait a minute. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I don't think that's a, you know, so obviously don't feel like an idiot. But yeah, can you just talk about that for a second? It's kind of
2: like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, th- actually this big thing that we kind not even talk, mention the name. So it's kind of brainwashed you at the time. But actually, uh, one of the artwork that we did in this exhibition was kind of touching one of the institution, I can say religious And so we didn't have to ask for permission, but for the peace of mind, we end up sending it to Ministry of Culture to have a look, you know, volunteer. It's like, this is okay, because I want to make sure every government's happy. And they're like, fine, do it, no problem. You know, so in a way, if you delete that part from your head the the other part that you cannot touch, it's fine. <laughs> it was fine back then, but now it's a whole different story um everyone self censored themselves, even the current show that I'm doing right now, which is um par- parody exhibition, you know, a lot of sarcasm reflecting. What has been said and done recently by the people who who, under, who in control, in charge of the country? There's a lot of surreal stuff. He said, "You wouldn't believe it." So the reason you have to come and have a look. Yeah, mm-hmm. anyway, it's it's the pure sense of humor, and I it, this is the hardest show, the most nerve-wracking one I ever done.
0: Why is it? That's really surprising because you've done a couple of very political shows in the the past that maybe we'll talk about, but why, can you just describe for a second what the the show is? Maybe we'll go up and take a look at it, but just now, can you just describe what the show is and why it's so nerve-wracking, why it was so nerve-wracking to to create it?
2: The reason that I'm so scared and so much self-censor and, you know, back and forth thoughts and adapting, changing a lot of things in the exhibition before I open it um, because there was an arrest of the People last week—they um, are writers and journalists and people who mocking the very subject that I'm putting in my exhibition. And so basically satire and humor. They want to say that it's not allowed anymore, and that just scare me a lot. Yeah. So and my show—it's all about that.
0: Yeah. Could you just describe the show? What is it? What is it that upstairs that is upstairs right now?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a pop up shop concept shop concept store. So we're basically selling products: T shirt, tote bags, mugs, um, notebook. That has a screen of all the things. That you know, we we heard him say stop, and we just like what you know. Like I like I said before, your principle, your value, has been turned upside down completely because. If this the the leader of the country believing in this kind of things, like what 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 do we have here? What 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 changed? What's going on? So you question all that stuff, and then people kind of let that happen without questioning it. And I cannot let it. Like I need to do something about that. So I like don't forget he said this. <laughs> yeah. In in two
0: thousand and fourteen, um, after the the coup, you put on a show called Conflicted Visions. Can you tell me about that show and and why you decided to, to put it on?
2: It's it's quite the similar feeling as I feel right now. Um, frustration. At the time, it was different. It was before the coup. There was possibility that there might be other uh, solution, but it was a heated moment of uh, the country divided into two sides. It's, it's a very polarized feeling, and it feels really weird. It's like a limbo, and there was a violence on the street, so that doesn't help it make things works within the art community it was really uncomfortable because you thought like art would make people more open minded you know you can listen to each other opinion and more compromise and you know no whatever you, that's how i thought the people that i used to work with or working with would be but it's just not like that at all so i decided to bring them to my gallery the both sides of people who totally disagree with each other and you know i i said well, i'm not provoking i just want to prove that art was a, a a form of media that you know people can actually have a dialogue that's all i want and the funny thing was the 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 the, the, com- the outcome people don't even know who on which side you go up they're talking about the same thing they critis- criticize um the same social issue you know but for some reason, it's been divided, and some of them. I didn't tell them who else gonna be in the show, and they found out later, that they were not happy at all. And they were like, wanna pull out and try to, try to lobby others to, you know, not participate. In. And then they told me all this kind of information, like, oh, I heard you are Red Gallery, you know, I ca- I cannot put my work there because even though we're good friends, you know, that's how I get them to work for me, to, to have the show. But I said, like, oh, my my peer will see me as a traitor. It's like, oh, so it, it take a lot of effort to convincing them, and and just to make it happen was my biggest achievement.
0: It was an amazing show, and and pretty astonishing. I mean, it was really there was nothing else like it at the time. Putting artists who would be affiliated more with the red shirt cause, and then artists that would be more yellow, I suppose. That must have been incredibly stressful. To put to to just even before the show went up, I mean, how yeah, how did like? Can you just describe a little bit your sort of emotional landscape in the process of putting? You know, from that moment where you decided I want to put on this show, through to the you know the days leading up to it. Can you just give us a glimpse of how that how that felt?
2: So there's a lot of phone call. Uh, me and Chris had to sit down and strategize. Like you're gonna talk to this one because you're foreigner. They're actually more neutral yeah and then i will follow up and saying this and that so a lot of strategizing how we're gonna do this and there's one point that the artist said one of the artists said like i'm i'm really not comfortable doing this you know that could be bad if i come to the opening my 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 pals might come and they're gonna come in big group and there might be violence bomb bombs even and i was like whoa
0: <laughs> really yeah
2: but but he was not threatening me but he's like do you know what you're doing? There's that's gonna be consequence. You have to be careful. It's more like, I think it's a good intention.
0: <laughs> that's that's so. Was he so he was saying that if if he put his art in this show that was going to have uh, a variety of perspectives in it, his buddies, very deeply feeling people on that on that particular side of the issue would would potentially come in an act of violence at that, at that show that was trying to, to bring two sides together?
2: Yeah, because at the time, people don't see a thing in the big picture, and then it's kind of like a, a gang, what do you call it, like a tech side, um, regardless of, you know, that kind of attitude happens a lot on social media. So he said, if I come to the opening, this could happen. My friend's going to come support me, just to, to support, yeah. And then he didn't turn up. But he sent the work, which is already really good for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Were you, what was the, you you mentioned social media. I mean, what was your experience of social media, I guess, between the, the coup and putting on the show or or maybe even after putting on the show? I mean, did you did you learn a lot about your community, your social, <laughs> you know, your online community of, of friends that you didn't, you know, things that you didn't know or attitudes that they had that you hadn't really gotten glimpses of before
2: oh yeah it's it's kind of crazy and mind-blowing how personality of the people changed online i guess it's normal right but uh, uh, this is this is scary the, the intensity was just too much you look in the glass for my agony my agony with flowers of terror and i never know that that you know some of the people that i work with or respect could come up with that kind of Words against the people that they don't agree with just because of that. So, but now I learn to, you know, keep my mind quiet and not, not get carried away by that. I'll unfriend some of them <laughs> 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 just for the peace of my mind. Yeah. And it, it, it works better that way. Yeah.
0: What, as you look back to 2014, so two years ago, what has been the, the, the legacy of the coup? Or, or, I mean, I guess I'm using the coup sort of as shorthand for sort of that moment of crisis in Thai society and Thai politics. What, what has been the, the legacy of that moment artistically? I mean, are there have there been a lot of artists that have been creating art kind of about the last two years and about that that moment, or uh, have a lot of those the artists that maybe would would have created that sort of art gone underground and are not no longer creating now?
2: Well, we are told to not do it legally. Basically, to do art that will provoke, not necessarily about the institutions or, you know, it's, it's gone beyond that. Now you can't even make fun of the situation. So it's, I can't blame them, really. My troll slash, my great rivers. Okay. <laughs> so you can't really blame them. Art is a, a media that you can kind of go around and kind of do it in a clever way, you know? Um, humor is one of the easiest way, but it never, you, you, if you're smart enough, you can do it, you know? You have so much materials now. So I wish to see a lot more happening, but sadly, it's not. The government was able to create this fear, you know, like, atmosphere to us, and it's just, they, they did a great job. <laughs> like, I am scared
0: knowing you, it's just terrible to hear, to hear that you're scared in that way. I mean, do you feel that, that the, the success of the, <laughs> that success that you're describing that, of the, those individuals who are working to, to shut down this kind of dialogue, would you describe it as the success of actual censorship or it's sort of a success of, of making people, I guess of, of making people self-censor um, the worm sang, the terror of the wheel and the slash sailor. I mean, is it, is it, yeah, is it more censorship or is it more self censorship that they've been successful in promulgating? Self
2: self censorship, at least in art scene, I think, because you know normally artists are very critical and they want to express their feeling and you know all that. But it it, it works. Yeah, self censorship. Yeah, you don't know that many art spaces that been shut down. I'm sure the reading room has happened. Yeah. So everyone kind of makes sure that that doesn't happen, including me. Yeah.
0: It just seems that that is an important distinction because I think that, I think perhaps in the West, maybe, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, that I think maybe there's sort of a sense of, of censorship being sort of someone sweeping in and kind of like, you know, taking something off of the web or sort of banning a book from being published, right? And sort of saying, like putting it on a list and saying, you can't read that book or or as you say, shutting down a particular institution. So it's sort of an, it's like an active, it's an act of censorship where it seems what you're describing is is creating a climate and creating laws and pressures that just stops any sort of, not any, but stops most of that sort of potentially controversial behavior before it even gets out into the you know out into the air into the street
2: yeah we i think that's why i make everyone really frustrated <clears throat> um and and you know people some press mentioned like oh the whole art scene here has has been um halt by this whole thing but it's not art art here it's not dead but the function has been changed you know it's now for a lot of uh, art for regeneration especially in um old town area lots of new galleries still popping up opening and do something that they can do now as much as they can so but people who who want to say something had to quiet for a
0: while one of the things that we've we've noticed as we've been interviewing different guests is that we've been we've been hearing people talking about sort of the art of omission in other words art that that leaves things out and it seems that that a variety. Whether that, that we've we've experienced that in terms of talking to to poets, we've experienced that talking to performers. This sort of sense of 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 you you create a work of art that leaves something out that a viewer, a Thai viewer, will know is left out. In other words, we'll go to the show and they'll see, or I don't know, or they'll let's talk about the poem for a second. They'll they'll read a poem and they'll know that there's something missing. Like there's a controversial thing that is missing, that sort of only a Thai viewer within sort of a Thai context would understand. We're just sort of surprised to notice that as sort of a pattern. Would you say that's accurate? Is that something that that you've noticed as well?
2: Yeah, definitely. But it's not like leaving things out per se. Like you said, it's it's going a long way around. Sometimes it's really long, you know. Um, But that's how a lot of artists want the to leave space for the audience to interpret themselves you know
0: so i mean one of the things that's that i've always i've noticed about wtf and admired about wtf as as a bar and a gallery is sort of the the community that you've kind of carved out here a very particular community uh the endless strains of blood the trains packed with roses handcuffed by the by the perfume merchants how would you describe the community that you've created here? Like, what is it? As you, I mean, now it's been what six years? Yeah. What's the community? What makes the community of WTF again? Either as a bar, as a gatherer, as as a hybrid of of both. What makes it? What makes it unique? Or what do you? What do you like about it? What do you cherish about it? And how is it different from other spaces in the city?
2: We hipsters. Come on, we are, <laughs> aren't we? BK always say that we hipsters. <laughs> um... It's, it's like minded. It, 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 that's the best bit about having this bar. I meet like lifelong friends, like real like minded, which is a good and bad thing too, because um, you get the same people who already agree and understand what I'm doing. It's not always, you, you know, sometimes you get small, small new faces coming and they look like they're in Mar. We in Mar yeah, they they came in and was like, What is this? Last night it happened quite a bit. We got a new face coming in. And I, I and I feel good when I see that. And I hope they come back. But the the it's a like minded group basically, you know, who are a bit more open minded and, and willing to ask questions and, you know, talk about what's going on, current issues. So and hipster.
0: And hipster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you've just just one or two more questions, maybe before we go upstairs and just get a quick look around at the store. Um, you, so you, um, you're leaving for Portugal, which I'm very sad about personally. Um, but I'm also just, I mean, I'm curious about your decision. You're going to Portugal for a couple of months, and you've been talking about about perhaps leaving Thailand, going to Europe for a while. Um, can you talk to a talk, talk a little bit? Of, can you talk a little bit about why you're even thinking about that, and and whether you're really sort of you know, are you actually pondering kind of getting out of Dodge, like really leaving Thailand for a while until things get sorted out? Or w- what's your thinking about, about all that?
2: Oh, press like to ask me this question, I guess. <laughs> I'm not leaving. I'm just going for a couple of months. Um, this is still my home, but it has always been a frustration for like four or five years, not about Thailand, but Bangkok in particular. Um, been talking about doing something outside Bangkok uh, I start to feel that the wife of Thai mentality has slowly changing to the direction that I feel like I don't belong here not that I belong here since I was young I always feel weird but suddenly it's just getting harder to to be around people who has this kind of opposite worldview from for me um That's why this place is still a good refugee, refuge, you know, that I meet good people, uh, like-minded people. But, you know, that feeling has happened. It's been building up until this coup happened and then the polarized society, that's, that's my breaking point. You know, politics is always shit here. The situation is always bad. Every single coup, it happened three times in my life, but there's always hope because people are on the same side and we fought the government or whatever we don't like and it's always success. But this time, the feeling is like really hopeless because it's a dividing society. So I just don't see how we're going to go, how how long we're going to be like this. Yeah, so the, that that's the main thing. And the reason is I'm going to Lisbon because uh, one of my partners here is Portuguese. And I've been going there for two years, um, spent four or five months last year. And really like it. And, you know, very similar to Bangkok in terms of cost of living. Um, investments, not that bad. To get the license to open the bar, it's like, just like that. So it it's, it makes sense. Good weather, good food, yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that you're not, you're not abandoning ship. I knew you are talking about opening a bar, but I was, I guess I was sort of imagining like a replica of WTF. So you'd have a bar and a gallery. Because you think about, whether you're going to create a, bar, a gallery or not there. Is there any is there any part of you that feels like actually like you like being a curator and being part of their art community in, in, in Thailand because of that friction? Like because of that sort of sense of, of friction against uh, whether it's authority or whether it's sort of the sense of sort of figuring out the limits of what you can say. And if you go to Portugal where there's, I think, a great deal more free speech, there sort of wouldn't be that same kind of friction or that same sort of energy.
2: Oh, this whole political advocacy we're doing here is happening by chance you know I wasn't planning us to be going this way it's just because of the situation I I just want a really accessible art that conveys some message a a little bit of a critical message that's that's my background in my education and accessible you know for people who don't normally go to gallery um, that's that's the original idea and then this happened and then i realized oh there's no other outlet in bangkok to let these artists uh, place like this so i was like i'm gonna go this way so i'm just gonna do exactly the same in protocol because this is the only thing i know how to do it yeah so we'll see how the the direction of the gallery is gonna be like i have to play it by rule i have to get familiar with the scene meet more people
0: som thank you so much for for chatting with us. Is um. We'll put some links up on the site to the, to the bar and the exhibits that you've been doing, but uh, how can people find you online if they wanted to just track down WTF or the gallery or the work that you're doing?
2: www.wtfbangkok.com and we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter when we want to, we, we update something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Awesome, thank you so much.
1: So during the interview, um she was talking about um this recent show that was uh conjoined with Amnesty International um, about missing people mm-hmm. that sounded so incredible to me. Yeah. Also sounded so incredibly dangerous to to do to have a show like that here <laughs> in this period mm-hmm. um i really wish i had i had caught it
0: no it was it was an amazing i i saw it and it was okay. a, it was a it was a haunting exhibition and you're right it does see, it does seem it does seem risky and it's one of the but it's one of those moments where i think again the two people involved she said that they spent six months mm-hmm. planning it and sort of working out exactly what they were going to do and i think that again People like Som and the and the artists that they were working with sort of they know so they know the landscape so well, and they know sort of it seems like they know exactly sort of how close to these <laughs> different things yeah. they can get. and as she said, a lot of the you know a lot of the people that were a lot of the people in the portraits that were in the show were not disappeared for explicitly political or it seemed to have not disappeared mm. or been disappeared. That's obviously the distinction right yeah. Yeah. Um, for political reasons, but I mean arguably I think environmental activism or advocating for human rights yeah. is is political but but perhaps just not as, as sort of not as overtly dangerous in that way yeah. but it's uh yeah no it was a, it was a you know was an amazing show and you know just that statistic that thailand is second, second. in the world for missing people Jar. um and i read a statistic that a number of a large number of those people are also children wow um yeah,
1: nine thousand miners mine silver from the rocks. <sighs> okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> walking down, you know, walking down the the, the alleyway a little bit, you yeah. know, further from that from those posters, you know, from the, the posters that she was showing me on the on the wall from the show you know, the, the huge mural of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, as she, as she put it, the, you know, the stupids are so stupid that they don't even know it. Um, it was, it was sort of amazing and amazing. I mean, amazing that they put that up there. Yeah. Amazing that she's been thinking about that so much. And, and also I just, I really appreciate it. And again, it's like whether it's, it's not, it's not something that is limited to artists, certainly, but just how her interest in thinking about the Dunning-Kruger effect mm-hmm. came out of, Yes, an observation that seems like there's other people in the country that seem to be not knowing mm. how stupid you know, how, how stupid their actions right. or their statements are. But she turned that back on herself and yeah. said, you know, and really was like starting yeah. to starting to doubt herself. It's yeah. like, am I so stupid? Like, am I yeah. stupid that I can, you know, like? Yeah. And I think that um, I don't know. I just I I mean, I appreciated that. Mm. I suppose just as someone who's is also very self-critical, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know. I really appreciated that, and and and, it, and it's and it is. It got me thinking about about what what David Lloyd said about being provocative for the sake of being provocative, yeah. and that's not what that is. Yes. it's that's that's coming from a like this is something that I'm I'm thinking about. Concerned is relevant to me. Yes. I know is relevant to other people.
1: Yeah,
0: let's put it up on the wall and let's all have to react to it. Yeah, let's talk you know? about it. You know, and yeah. so yeah. And I did take some selfies, which I'll put on the wall. Okay. I'll Put on the yes. uh, awesome. put on uh, the Twitter. I
1: also uh, I loved what she said about how she found the idea that art can function as something that changes community. I I love that idea, but I also found it interesting that later she now finds that naive um, that thinking, and it kind of made me a little bit sad listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, just that working in the art community took away that that idea that art can change things but then she still actively puts on exhibits and puts up things like this mural i i don't know if she actually believes that i think she still might hold that inside Mm -hmm. that maybe art could be something that facilitates change um, I don't see why she would do many of the things that she yeah, does. Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. Yeah.
0: Even if she does, as as I when I asked her, you know, who is the community that she is working with, or or when I asked her who the community is that gathers at WTF, and she was just like hipsters. Hipsters, we're hipsters. It's, like, it's, it's all hipsters. <laughs> so it's like you know, it's like suppose you know, if, yeah. I mean, not that hipsters should not be embraced <laughs> as well. Um, are not part yeah. of the community, you know? Yeah, we love you, hipsters. Yeah. That that what it, that was a very interesting moment in her mm-hmm. life. I, I really enjoyed hearing about that, about studying in Britain and getting a sense of sort of how to how to understand art and how to advocate f- for art mm-hmm. uh, and, and government funding of the art and how art functions within society. And then coming back to Thailand with that yeah. sense of like it can have a similar function here, and gradually yeah. for a variety of reasons, getting a sense that 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 just is not possible. So I suppose I suppose there is a difference between. You know the idea of like changing a community in a small, limited way versus changing, as she put it, the dinosaurs. Yeah. You know the dinosaur individuals or institutions that might be operating in that. Yeah. But um, but I, I love what she said about WTF was the WTF was basically founded when she realized she could not be naive anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sort of exactly. a product of yeah. of abandoning that naivete. Yeah. So that was yeah that was very interesting. Yeah.
1: Also loved what she said about um art here is not dead, but the function has been changed. And again, that goes back to her being somewhat hopeful for Mm -hmm. this place. Um, Art hasn't been killed off, Um, as we've seen on this podcast. um, It's alive and well. Its function has been, well, for a lot of artists, its function has been changed in reaction to the surroundings. Maybe it's kind of gone underground, like Dino said, but... (laughs) It's there. It's changing, but it's it's not going anywhere. It, yeah. It's it's resilient. Art yeah. here is resilient. Yeah. It finds a way, like Jeff Goldblum said in Jurassic Park. <laughs> art art and life. It finds a way. Um one of the other things that she said that I found um very interesting and also very true, she talked about how conceptual art can't help but be controversial. And that sort of sort of reminded me of Poupe and Che and Yo, how conceptual art by its very definition and design is bound to provoke thought especially thoughts that people might not be comfortable with
0: yeah it's interesting because that that gets I mean it's a it's a it's a leap of my weird mind but it makes it just makes me I mean I've been thinking in this last episode as we're preparing for the last episode about the one of the godfathers of the podcast yeah. the the spanish poet um federico garcia lorca yeah. whose whose book poet in new york you know inspired our the title of the podcast obviously and and i i'm thinking now not how he was murdered by the fascists and his body never found uh, as he and a number of others mm. were 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 murdered and disappeared for their their different points of view they're different lifestyles so it's not what i'm thinking about but it does obviously come to mind but just how in poet new york that collection of 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 surreal wonderful poems um, a lot of those poems are full of a lot of ugliness yeah and full of a lot of very challenging imagery that seems to a lot of it i'm sure was just very immediate and very raw to his experience but also part of it no doubt those poems were were wrought to be a particular kind of poem. And he was experimenting with, with style and he was pushing his own bounds. And a lot of people didn't like those poems because they didn't seem like his old poems. And a lot yeah. of people in Spanish circles didn't really like you know, didn't really like what he's doing. So I'm just thinking about that. I, I don't know if you can call it, I mean, his art is many things, but it certainly also is conceptual. You know, yeah. it, 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 the very nature of that work being so so controversial and so much and so full of life. Yeah. And I think that's part of what I I guess I realize about, about one of the things that has been maybe challenging for me as I as I have tried to wrap my head around Thai art is that I think that I kind of look for that edge. I think I look for that edge in art that is a little raw, a little dark, a little uncomfortable, a little uncertain, mm-hmm. a little exploratory of territory that's hard to get into. And, you know, there's some psychoanalysis that could be done that that maybe that was just because of my depression. That was what I was thinking about when I came to Thailand. But in a culture that does not celebrate those, that does not seem to celebrate those aspects of artistic expression and seems to keep them kind of down, um, It just makes me realize like maybe that was why I had a little bit of a hard time tapping into a lot of different Thai arts because it didn't resonate at the level of what I sort of Ah, thought I was hunting for. I thought I was um, interested in sort of maybe I thought I was going to discover some sort of, you know, I was going to discover some kind of Lorca-like Thai poetry uh, in translation Mm -hmm. uh, and didn't find it and sort of wasn't, you know, sort of somehow... As I'm thinking about it now, I think that does just have to do with my depression. I was looking for sort of dark poems yeah. about the city, which there are actually there are there are some of those. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. That's a bit of a tangent. But um, but I suppose just to say to the ghost of Lorca, thank yeah. you for um, for your poems and mm-hmm. for letting us Bogart your title of your book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's for the podcast. Um, but okay, let's wrap up. Yeah. Episode nine, final episode of season one. Mm-hmm. We had a wonderful time interviewing some and uh, want to thank her for giving us so much of her time before she jetted off to Portugal. You can find links to WTF and some of the past shows that they have done on our website, poetinbangkok.com. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram when the plantain wants to meet Medusa because we're going to be uh, tweeting and putting things up there as we think about um, moving toward a, a, uh, a second season and also just as we put information out there about what's going on in Thailand in terms of the arts and also censorship. If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, it helps us to reach new listeners because um, this this nine-episode this nine Chunk will now be available for binge listening. Yeah, that's right. So tell your friends if they have not been listening, they yeah. can come and just you know they can just binge. Just set aside a day. Yeah. Just drink some Red Bull. which comes it from Thailand. Uh, yeah, And, and just uh, you know just mainline uh, poet in Bangkok. <laughs> if you like what we're doing and want to support us and want to give us a signal to to do a, a second mm. season, go to Patreon.com/slash Bangkok or follow the link from our website. If you give us just a couple of Dollars per episode. Uh, it helps us to pay the expenses and uh, and again, to signal that you'd like us to do a second season. Um, for a certain donation, you can get yourself a t-shirt with Donald and Colin walking on Mars, drawn by Kathy McLeod. now that I th- I'm saying that it's making me think that, especially how Kathy drew me without my helmet on. Oh yeah that's just making me worried that that's what Shep was doing was just wandering around without his helmet on.
1: That'd be insane.
0: Yeah, but how, he didn't have enough oxygen. It's not. He's, yeah, what's going on? Did he have like Did he have like four thousand oxygen tanks right. And he was just dragging around him <laughs> in the Martian, in the Martian lichen fields? Anyway, and if you give us a larger donation on Patreon, we'll have you on sometime during our second season to uh, to talk about Mars or the whales or yeah. what have you. Finding Ship. Yeah.
1: Thanks to everyone who has been listening to the podcast and has written us about it and supported us on Patreon. Uh, Thank you, W. Stephen, uh, Abigail, Amy, R., and Judith. And thanks to those who have said nice things about us online, Ian Bodkin, Justin Johnson, Damian Miles Paulson, Alex F. Dub, One Desert, and Salah Leo. Thanks to Anna, and Pete for their support, to Barry, Patrick, Mark, and Julia, and to Isotope for the great sounding editing software that's been very valuable to us over the last few episodes. And awesome. Yeah, and awesome. Man. Thanks to Martin Pavlinich and his band Reports for our opening theme music, and thanks again to everyone at Rakademy, and Freeze Green Club, and Blue Horse of My Madness, Pulse of Nebula, and Minute Pan tell your friends about us whether they are
0: (laughs) you just did it again
1: well Mm, sorry man it's not funny. yeah well tell your friends about us whether they're into interpretive dance music comics innovative theater or just quirky podcasts in this era of missions to Mars
0: and whether you live in Bangkok or Cambridge London or Las Vegas Spokane or Fresno we hope you'll return with us next season to see what we get up to here on Poet in Bangkok. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Stumbling onto my face, different every day, murdered by the sky. Wait, did I just... What? No, never no. no.